Well, hello everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. How are you doing, Jess? I am good. I am. We are just getting ready for Christmas and um, kind of decorating and it's it's going really well. Seeing clients and kind of getting ready. I mean, I'm trying to stay on topic because I feel like <laughs> I have to bring in something ghostly or supernatural even though mainly I've just been watching Hallmark Christmas movies and decorating and enjoying those. Um, but I am also getting ready. I'm teaching tarot classes starting January. So I'm also getting those ready too. And maybe even throwing in mediumship classes in the future as well. So I've also been kind of having fun getting those prepared and ready. But I am so loving the fact that you've full circled your career because you started as a teacher. Oh my gosh. I never thought about that. <laughs> I hadn't even, when you made that face, I was like, wait, what? What am I missing? (laughs) Yeah, I just, over Thanksgiving, I had been talking about it and like, we, I should do this. And then finally I was like, nope, I'm doing it. And I put it all together, put the courses together. And so I've been working on those. Oh, lesson planning over the holiday. You sound like a teacher. (laughs) I am am lesson planning, but how fun to be talking about these topics. But yeah, that's really all that's been going on and just holidays and traveling um, and stuff. But it's been good. How are you? Busy. I mean, everyone will probably have seen if they follow us on Facebook or Instagram <laughs> that I uh, posted the pictures for Helen Duncan about a week late because <laughs> hey, I okay. was distracted. <laughs> well, I mean, technically it was the holidays, so it was. That's and a so distraction. I- I feel a little bit okay, but I'm I'm just hopeful everyone forgives me. But oh. they are spectacular pictures. Like, oh my god, the puppets are ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and that will come into play in this episode, I assume, because like we're going to be talking a little more about Helen Duncan later. But like the the ridiculousness of the puppet and the cutout magazine and the gauze everywhere. Just looking through it again, I'm like, I can't believe. I know she was an amazing psychic, but wow, she was a terrible ectoplasm medium. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, it's such a weird juxtaposition because I feel like they were either really bad and fraudulent or they were pretty legit. And I feel like she's a little bit of both. <laughs> like, right? She somehow managed to like split the sphere in half and fit them together again. Like, yeah. how did, what, why would you? Okay. That's, if that makes you happy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I still stand by the red light screwing with people's perception and vision so that it looked more believable in person I hope yes I'm sure it did I mean when you're in a dark room anyway you start seeing things and imagining things and um but yeah I'm really excited to kind of dig into her case a little more today and tie it back to Salem which is kind of I love how we're it feels like we're coming full circle like from Salem to like the last one um it's very cool yeah, and I mean, we are, because we're going to be covering both Salem and Hale and Duncan, if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, like, obviously go back and listen to them. Yes. But I also know how detail-oriented our guest is, and so, like, <laughs> he may give us a solid breakdown anyway, and you won't be missing anything just jumping in today. Absolutely. No, and um, spoiler, it's my husband. So, like, we've been discussing <laughs> this a little bit, and... um. And he, he's been super excited. I mean, you give him a research topic that also involves the law, he's all about it. So, um, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Be... He's definitely, as bad as we are about the history of spiritualism, he is about the history of law. Yes. Yeah. So it's been really fun, but he's been kind of explaining stuff to me. And I'm kind of like, okay, 
pretend I know nothing about the law, which I don't tell it to me again. Like sometimes I'm like, tell it to me like I'm five years old. Now re-explain right. it to Explain me. Explain it to me like I'm an alien visiting Earth and I know nothing about your legal system. Go. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have to have him do that to- with me all the time. When he's talking about some of his cases, I'm like, I have no idea what you said. Explain it to yeah. me like can I'm you, five. <laughs> can you translate that into English? Okay, now simple yes. English. Please? Yes, but I know he's going to be amazing because he's been sharing some of the stuff he's already found, and it's fascinating. So I hope everybody is as interested as we are. I hope so, too, because if they're not, then they're going to be disappointed when we bring him on again later. Because <laughs> I don't see how we're going to fit everything we could possibly ask into one episode. Oh, no. I started making a list of the cases and things I wanted him to talk about, and I realized, oh, they're... Salem and Salem and Helen will take up like one whole episode like we we can't even get to some of these other cases so yes <laughs> I'm sure he will be a reoccurring guest I mean just think about all the podcasts we've done I, I was thinking what was the laws the jugglery laws even and how right that, like there's so much that involves legal issues and court issues that you wouldn't think of when you're just thinking of spiritual like you wouldn't yeah think like about we know that. about the legal trouble they got into and how they were arrested right. or chased out of town based on this yeah. precedent or that legal something but like the fact that we could actually break this down from the legal side yes oh my god yes so no we're gonna have to we're gonna, we'll start with salem and helen and then a little surprise <laughs> at the end <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just the first of many because I, I have my running list going of, okay, now you need to explain all this to me. <laughs> Spectacular. I'm so excited for future Yay! episodes. Um, but in well, the meantime, I think we should probably just get to it because I'm excited to hear what he has to say. I am too. So here he is. We are so excited to have a very special guest today. It's someone we've been talking about bringing on the podcast for a while now. And we are calling him our spirit counsel for the podcast. <laughs> he is our legal representation on the other side. Or to the other side. Maybe to the other side. Yeah. Okay, so a little bio before we bring him on. Um, Chris is an attorney with a major insurance coverage firm based in Houston, Texas, with a nationwide practice specializing in complex insurance cases. He is a proud graduate of Texas A&M University and the Corps of Cadets, as well as South Texas College of Law, where he was named to the Order of the Barristers. And after graduation, Chris served several years as an adjunct professor of advocacy for South Texas. And although he is a lawyer by trade he is a historian by passion and he's also my husband and so I am so excited I roped him into coming on the podcast and being a guest for us today so welcome (laughs) yes we're super excited because we know that you're our biggest you're as big a history geek as we are and you have insight that we don't have access to in our own brains so yay well in a little background and Kate you can we can talk about this kind of how this all came to be was We were talking about the Salem trials and the witchcraft, and I mentioned that my husband, they still talk about this in law school. And so as we were having this conversation, I remember it was late at night, and I I called Chris over as we were talking, (laughs) and I'm asking him questions about it, and, and then he drops the bomb of, oh, and by the way, there's also ghost insurance. And we were like, wait what <laughs> so hold on rewind <laughs> yes and so after that we were like okay you just have to come on the podcast like we just have to have you on and I'm sure he will be a reoccurring guest because most of the stuff we've looked at Kate 
there's a lot of legal issues involved and they're usually being taken to court over this. So it's fun to kind of get that legal perspective on some of it. 100% agree. So we're going to turn it over to him, but we thought it would be fun today to go back to Salem and talk about that. And then it leads right into our most recent podcast, which was about Helen Duncan. And so kind of how all that works legally. And then, of course, we're going to talk about ghost insurance at the end. Yeah, no, we are both so heavily fixated on ghost insurance. (laughs) If he doesn't cover that, we will have to make it like its own little mini episode because we both desperately want to know more. Yes, no, that will definitely be included. Yeah, Chris, we'll turn it over to you, but kind of a little background on legally kind of how Salem came to be. (laughs) Yeah, so I think the interesting place to start is kind of as Americans, we have sort of a weird view on how English law really impacted the colonies. And so kind of the way that we look at it, the way we're taught in school is Native Americans are on stage left, pilgrim enter from stage right. Off stage somewhere, we hear about this merry old land called England, and that's all we really <laughs> know. And in reality, the early colonies were tied by an umbilical cord to England. But at the same time, we also forget what all is going on in England. And the law as we know it doesn't exactly exist. So, you know, to us, we're so used to there's a courthouse, there's permanent courts, there's hundreds of feats of law books, statutes, all that stuff. They didn't have that. And so one really interesting thing is if you look at in the lead up to Salem, what's going on in England? So if you look at the last hundred years, Salem goes down in 1692. If you start backtracking a hundred years in England, looking at the government and the law, that takes you to Elizabeth I. So you go from Elizabeth to James, James to Charles, Charles to Cromwell, all of the mess that was Cromwell, Cromwell to Charles, Charles to James, William and Mary. That's a huge swing in power and governance and law. And also remember that Scotland and England aren't united yet. They're at war part of the time. You got the Irish issue. You have this whole thing. So there's not exactly a whole body of law to draw on. So what England did, you know, for time before that, and then even up to now, and we still follow it as well, is something called the common law. And the idea there is similar facts should get a similar result. And so what would happen is you would have judges that would periodically have courts across the country. And a lot of times they call them assizes. Uh, They would apply the law as they saw it. And then they would write up a report about what happened, publish those reports, and then hopefully those got spread out. Other judges could read it and apply it. And so that's going to play into what happens in Salem. So that's kind of the generic background. What you've really got going on, though, is that the recent changes before Salem over in England, you've had the Glorious Revolution. You've had William and Mary come in. The old Massachusetts Charter has been revoked. You don't know what's going on. So over in England, meanwhile, the king appoints Phipps as the new governor. Here's your new charter. And off he sails 
winds up in Boston and finds out, oh, crap, there's a bunch of people in jail for witchcraft. Uh, I got to do something about this. A little so, bit of a surprise for him when he got there. <laughs> yeah. And for Phipps, if you really get interested in him, he's in a tough spot because he's really punching above his weight. Like, governor of a colony is not something he was supposed to be when he was born. He's got a varied background. He had been a sailor. He had worked his way up into that position. So he's nervous because he's not exactly royal. And he's not somebody you would think to be there. So he's got options he can do. He can follow the charter where you go through, appoint judges. That has to go back to the king. King has to sign off on it. You also got to do a new charter. You got to do the whole thing. And he's like, we don't have time for that. So I'll just create the special court, which was done somewhat frequently, and it's court of Oye and Termine. So if you ever watch Supreme Court proceedings and you hear the Oye, 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 it literally means to hear. It's from the old Norman term. And so all that plays in. So the judges he appoints are actually qualified judges. They'd been judges in the past. They kind of knew what they were doing. The problem is the new charter doesn't say exactly what the law is. It says they shall apply the laws of old England. Well, that's different because Massachusetts had a different definition under their old uh, charter than what the common law of England might have had. So what these judges now confront is, huh, we have all these people that are probably witches. Because that's the other thing. They just took that for granted. You know, as anything, witches existed. That was just a thing. We've got this stuff, and we don't have guidance on the law. So what do we do here? So they've got to figure out what law do we apply. And you see that battle between Cotton Mather and Increase Mather, the father and son, on the use of spectral evidence. And that's, here's where we're going, because I know you guys... I listened to the podcast and you talked all about spectral evidence. Yes. Yeah, we covered so it a little bit. So here's where you kind of start getting into the law school stuff of what exactly is evidence? Is it testimony? Is it documents? Is it videos? Is it photos? You know, what is proof and how do you prove something? And so the way that you've got to look at it is, okay, what is the crime and break that down, and then how do I go about proving that? Like, so, for example, like today, you know, murder. To prove murder, I have to prove that you intended to kill and did kill a human being. Each one of those points requires evidence. If I can't prove that you intended to kill the person, it's manslaughter. Or if I, prove, if I prove that you intended to hurt somebody, but you didn't intend to kill them, that doesn't rise to the level of murder. So you, those are called elements. Now, English law at the time is not there. They don't, that's the difference between now and then and really sort of the foundations where we get it. Nowadays, we have rules of civil procedure, rules of criminal procedure, and rules of evidence. All of those are different rule books. And so you've got them on the federal level, you got them on the state level. They, they didn't have any of that. It's not standardized. It's sort of court by court. And you come back to, like I was saying, the common law. 
they've got to go back in the books and look at, well, what guidance do we have? What should we do? And so when you look at the crime that they're being alleged of, it's really weird when you think about it because crimes are things where we punish the action. You robbed a bank. You killed somebody. You stole something. The crime under the act at the time says, if any man or woman be a witch, that is, hath consulted with a familiar spirit, they should be put to death. So the crime isn't that you did anything. The crime is that you exist. Yeah. And so that's weird. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's just your very existence. But then also for a witch, you have to get into the supernatural because how do you know somebody's a witch unless they consulted with the devil? <laughs> right. So that's where this comes in. It's like, so how do you prove that? And that's where the idea of spectral evidence sort of comes in. Uh, well, somebody, there's got to be something in the spirits that does that. There has to be some manifestation of it. The, the black dog idea or the book, all these things. So that's where you kind of get this idea and there was a basis for it. There were cases, um, I forget the name of them, but in the 1590s, there had been a series of witch trials that had allowed spectral evidence. And that's what the judge that ultimately used it did is point back to that and say, well, look, they did it. We're going to use it. Here we go. And so the problem with it now, you know, we look back and, you know, as a lawyer, you read some of the transcripts, you read the documents. It's horrifying. Of you walk in, you know, first off, you don't have a lawyer. You didn't have a right to one. I mean, I guess you could have had one, but there weren't. Now that's, you know, that is constitutional to us. You don't know the rules. And when you read the transcript, here's these girls and the judge brings you in and says, hey, they said you're a witch. Why are they wrong? That's a scary proposition. And the first one, Bridget Bishop looks at him and goes, I don't know who these people are. I've got no idea. And so here she is staring down these crazy girls. And, you know, all sorts of theories are out there about why they did what they did. But you're staring that down. And then at the same time, not only are you having to deal with the special evidence idea, you're dealing with prosecutors that are also asking a ton of questions we don't allow now. So I hearsay. Hmm. Hearsay is just something it's excluded. Now it takes you in your evidence class in law school, you spend over a month on it, on the hearsay rule. It's complicated. There's all sorts of exceptions. I mean, that's what lawyers do. But <laughs> but at the time, hearsay was perfectly valid. Wow. So it's, oh, wow. yeah, I heard Joe Blow tell John that she was a witch. Okay, that's cool. You know, same wow. thing. We, we value in-person testimony more than a written document somebody did a few years ago. They took the exact opposite approach. Their idea was if somebody took the time to actually write it down on paper, that's more useful than them showing up in court. Wow. Wow. Completely backwards. You know, so you yeah. look at that, you have all these different things. That's just, you don't have a law. They're just trying to get to the end. And so some of the two just objections and, you know, some of the transcripts are just scary. What with Bridget Bishop to one question, she says, you know, I'm not a witch because I don't even know what that is. And the prosecutor goes, well, if you don't know what it is, then how do you know you're not one? 
Wow. Oh, come on. I I, I would be losing my mind. <laughs> Same. Objecting to that. It's Yes. And there's nobody there. Or, you know, Giles Corey, he's up. And the prosecutor says, okay, well, what did he tempt you with? Talking about the devil. Mm-hmm. Corey looks at him and goes, I was never tempted in my life. Oh, ho, you didn't need any temptations. I see. Wow. So they're just twisting everything they're saying around. Yes. Wow. And they're masters of it. No kidding. Jeesh. That's the scary part about Salem is to a lawyer looking back now, you know, it's not useful necessarily for trial technique or any of that. It's just this is what happens without the rules. It's a solid case study in why we have what we have. Exactly. And so it's not Mm -hmm. one where in law school you go back and you dissect this and really study what happened and all that. And there's nothing that we can really say, okay, this directly came out of the Salem uh, case, but it's always referenced. It's always in the back of your mind of what is evidence and how do you ask these questions? And some of the protections that we take for granted, this is in the early days and it's still going on. You know, if you look at the legal world, then you had the early discussions of hearsay starting around the 1500s. It's really not up until the 1700s, even towards the 1800s, we finally get the concept of hearsay to modern form. Mm. That's how long it takes. We really don't see it you know, really come along, same thing with the development of law until the early 1700s, which kind of ties back to where we started on the 1700s is really when the throne of England stabilizes. So when it stabilizes, that's when the law stabilizes, (laughs) and even in America, too. Yeah, yeah, because you think about during that 100 years before Salem, and even you go beyond that, there was basically no generation in the British Isles that had not experienced some sort of civil war or upheaval. And when you're doing that, it's hard to create a cohesive set of laws. So that, that to me then is telling when we create the U S constitution and why John Adams was so strong in favor of an independent judiciary. I mean, he knew Salem inside and out. He was from there. Yeah. From Salem, but he was familiar with it. And that's the idea of, this is why you have a separate judiciary that doesn't respond directly to the king, doesn't respond to the church. They are there. And so we see the early roots coming of what inspired the system we have today. That makes a lot of sense. It does. I never thought to tie Salem to some of that or just the Mm -hmm. influence it would have had that would have led to that. Yeah. Um, especially with that as a solid example it really explains why you'd want the judiciary to be a solid consistent separate thing yes mm-hmm. and and you mentioned this and chris stop me because you may talk about this when you get into helen duncan but you you were talking to me we were about james and we knew from the podcast kate did that he was kind of obsessed with witchcraft are you going to talk about that more with her because i thought it was interesting what you found on why he was so obsessed and why he kind of did the laws it would that could be just a good transition. It's a fun or it's an interesting story at least. So James is you look at his, his background now from the perspective of like a psychiatrist, and it's 
faster. <laughs> and, and just uh, to set up for the listeners real quick, Chris, we're talking about the witchcraft laws and how they evolved and, and when he and the laws he created. I just wanted to put that out there. Yes. Yeah. And so talking about James, we're talking about James the sixth of Scotland, James the first of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, or James six and first, depending on apologies to listeners across the pond. If I'm messing this up, we're doing the best we can. James is, it kind of fits in this theme of how the world around you impacts the law. So we kind of talked about that with Salem, the power vacuum, everything else. Then we'll talk about James and kind of what motivated him because that spawns then into the Helen Duncan saga. Mm-hmm. So James is the son of Mary, Queen of Scots. So he's born into this world where you had a major, major power problem in Europe. His mother had been married to the King of France. King of France had died. She had come back to reclaim her throne. Elizabeth is in charge, but Elizabeth has taken over from her sister Mary. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Then. Elizabeth kills his mom when he's very, very young. So he's raised by counselors. Yeah. Distant relatives, all that stuff. But he's also raised in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Scotland is one of the peak believers in witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So that is just a the world he's in. But what really sets him off is he winds up being betrothed to Anne of Denmark. So it's going to basically unite those two crowns. It's going to add some power to Scotland because Scotland's still not aligned with England. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. still a major tension there. So Anne sets off to sail from Denmark to Scotland. But what they call an uncommon wind lands her in Scandinavia. They try to sail again. The ship almost sinks. Some of them do sink. Somehow one of them gets over there with a letter to him saying, hey, I'm not coming. Let's wait until next year. We'll figure this out. He says, oh, no, no, I'm coming. Hops on a ship. He has issues. <laughs> Eventually gets to Denmark. It's this huge, awful mess. Of course, by the time they get back to Scotland, then it happens to be at another outbreak of the witch hysteria. And so through all of these tortures and trying to get out of stuff, people are saying different things about this uncommon wind. And it appears to him that somebody has confessed that, oh, yeah, I'm the one that created this wind. So to him, not only by background, do you have this thing that witchcraft is real and you have all this power stuff going on and somebody would want to take you out like they did mom. Now somebody's actually tried to affect his own life. It's personal now. (laughs) Yeah, of course it's going to mess you up. Then if you think about it, then okay, fine. He He's king of Scotland. He becomes king of England. Well, lo and behold, guess what happens on the 5th of November when he's trying to take control? <laughs> Somebody plants a bunch of gunpowder underneath Parliament. <laughs> I feel like not that's saying, a little less to do with witchcraft and a little more to do with chemistry when it comes to gunpowder, though. <laughs> yeah, not saying he's right, but the paranoia <laughs> around the guy makes a lot more sense. Oh, yeah. 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 And so that that kind of forms all the background into these laws that are there. But then the interesting part as you go forward is we get through that period of history into the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. 
thrones stabilize for the most part. Yeah, there's always foreign wars. There's all that stuff. But for the most part, Europe starts coming into the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Heavy on rationalism, heavy on the initial go-round with science. We're starting to figure this stuff out. Not perfectly. We're still leeching people. But we're trying <laughs> the best we can. Yeah. And it makes its way into the law. And so that's where the Witchcraft Act of 1735 comes in. And so now we're going to change up the purpose of the law and then also what you've got to prove. Okay. So, so remember with Salem, what you had to prove was if the person be a witch. Now it is if a person shall pretend to exercise or use any kind of witchcraft or undertake to tell fortunes or pretend to do so. Now we've shifted the proof to the act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer the crime to be that, but the interesting part, because this gets left out, that's the thing reading about Helen Duncan is people talk about the act, but you got to go back to the exact language. And that's anytime it's one of my pet peeves. Jess will tell you anytime you see on the news, somebody says something about a law or a case or testimony until you read the actual thing, it's probably not right. Mm -hmm. That's valid. So uh, if you go back to the lead in for section four of that act, it says whereby ignorant persons are frequently deluded and defrauded, be it further enacted that, you know, just like we talked about. And so the purpose there, they're seeing these enlightenment nobles or enlightened parliament that's passing these things. They're trying to force science onto the populace. Mm. Yes. And so right. they're cool. They're cool with the fun stuff. They're cool. Like Gandalf's fireworks. They're cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> but you start getting into this other stuff. Not so much. Okay. I have a question though, about how it's written because sure. it makes it sound like it's okay to be a witch, but you can't pretend. So if they consider you're, it's real, it's okay. It's just weird how they say you can't pretend to do it. So. Right. Yeah, so what the two don't, you can't mesh the two exactly. Okay. But what it seems to say by 1735 is that they no longer believe a witch is a thing. Oh, which, so they just don't believe in it at all. At that yeah, point. which craft is a thing, but this idea that you go out in a spirit at night and sign the devil's book or whatever it may be, they don't believe in that at all. Okay. At this Perfect. point, there's enough science. They're not there. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you can sell stuff or sell charms or sell potions or I'm going to tell you the future, they're trying to work that out of the populace because sometimes you can have rebellions. You have things start that way. And that's what they're trying to do is maintain the stability. Okay. Uh, now, that doesn't mean it can't be misapplied. It doesn't right. mean it can't be used for different purposes, but that's the idea isn't so much more the religious-based 1640s laws as much as the Enlightenment. We're trying to have this more evolved uh, scientific society. Mm. And so that's okay. kind of that's kind of what's going on in the background. It doesn't explain everything, but it's kind of the law as it's developing. Right. Then, okay. 
And so then as it keeps going, this is where I'll throw out a caveat. The further, the closer we get to modern times, the less familiar I am with some of the particularities about British procedure. Okay. Okay. Just because by this point in America, and now as we come up to Helen Duncan, at this point, America's got a very different system than Britain. Right. We still use the same concepts, trial by jury and all that, but the difference is we've got a U.S. Constitution. Britain does not have a similar document. And we also have different ways of doing things. So in America, if you're an attorney, you're an attorney. Mm-hmm. In Britain, you're either a solicitor or a barrister. Mm-hmm. True. So only a barrister gets to go into court. Now, there's, they're loosening some of that these days, but you got different ideas, and especially on criminal procedure. I mean, I'm a civil lawyer. Right, uh, right. Although I do represent insurance companies, so it's a little bit like, de- it's like defending a witch in the courtroom. As- <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he is our spirit counsel, so that also still holds. Yeah. And you are married to me. <laughs> so you got it. You got to love the consistency that he's got across the board. That's <laughs> true. So, right. so on our little legal journey, this is fun. I guess, is this a good time to switch over to Helen Duncan? Sure. Yes. Okay. Sure. So looking back, Jess and I were talking about this and working on this presentation. My take as a lawyer on the Helen Duncan thing is that she wasn't a victim of the law so much as a victim of the times. Okay. Uh, And here's why. If you read all the websites, and there are a ton of websites out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is all over the place. The one thing I think that's missing from all of them is an understanding of what exactly is going on in Britain, but particularly London, is all of this is going down. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, it's wartime. But the way you've got to look at it is if you've seen the movie Darkest Hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, great movie. Okay. So it'll go on the list. Yeah, uh, you'd like it, Kate. It's really good. So when all of this is going down, the lead up to it, when she talks about the hood, and then she talks about Barham. Uh, Britain is almost on its last leg. Mm-hmm. They're being bombed nightly. The U.S. is not in the war. Nobody knows if the U.S. is coming in at all. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Europe is gone. They're hanging on, depending on shipping. And so when she talks about the hood, the hood is the biggest loss in British naval history. Okay. They sent out. The hood was the pride of the British Navy. Their best ship, the best they had, they send it out to take out the Bismarck. Yep. And Bismarck is Germany's best ship. So if the Bismarck gets loose in the Atlantic, it can cut off the shipping lanes. So they send out the hood. The Bismarck sinks the hood in one shot. Yep. One mm. lucky shot takes out the greatest ship in the British Navy. That shocks the country to the foundations. Mm-hmm. Then you come up to the barroom, which actually, you can actually go on YouTube and see the sinking. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's it's wild they had it, but the thing about the barroom that scared everybody is that it's not like barroom was out on its own. 
it was in a convoy in the Mediterranean. The British had controlled the Mediterranean for 200 years or so, but the U-boats were starting to get in there. And so that scares everybody because if a U-boat can get in the middle of a convoy surrounded by destroyers and cruisers, that's a scary idea. Yeah, where can't they go if that's where they're achieving? Exactly. And it sinks in November of 41. So at this stage, the U.S. isn't in. Mm -hmm. A huge chunk of the U.S. population doesn't even want to have anything to do with this war. Nope. Right. So as bombs are bursting and destroying London, uh, that's the situation surrounding the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So everybody is on edge. They're getting bombed every night. They're shipping kids out to the country. Mm -hmm. People are on edge. And so when somebody pops up and they're talking about stuff like this, and in some cases, when you really dig in, I still cannot find the exact transcript from a lot of this. But when you dig in, a lot of the concern is that people like Helen Duncan could be seen as taking advantage of the bereaved Mm -hmm. or people that are nervous and they're taking it away because the other thing you got is at that time, Britain barely had an army. They had barely been able to get away from Dunkirk. They'd lost a ton of people. So this is a scary, scary point in time for them. So that's all the lead in that I don't see on those sides is just that understanding of what could motivate it. Doesn't make it right. I think they were a little overzealous. I think they were looking for an example. And what better than to take down the biggest name out there? That's probably a lot of the motivation. Oh, 100%. But mm-hmm. you all got to understand the context. So, you know, it comes back to Salem of you don't have power. You don't have law. You don't have all this stuff. And you have these circumstances that surround and change, you know, over time. And so when you get into then what happened, you know, y'all brought up on the podcast, the strategy of her defense lawyer. Mm-hmm. Wait, and, real quick, Chris, can I stop you for just a second and ask a question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But, and with some of it too, and this is me, cause I don't think we talked about this when she's predicting some of these things or saying like this ship sank and this, that had, that wasn't widespread news yet either. So was there kind of a fear, like she's kind of announcing this or making this known and we don't really want people to know this, that this has happened yet. Correct. And there's, depending on the website you read, there's different theories on did the Admiralty notify the families or not? Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a massive conflict and apparently no one has the answer somehow. Yeah, there's, I would be fascinated for somebody to actually dig into that. There's a lot, to me, this is where my historian side kicks in. (laughs) there's got to be a lot more paper than people mm-hmm. are saying on this. And I did find one website and I couldn't tell if it was a lead in for a fictional book. So if it's real or not, but it suggested that the trial papers had been marked classified by HO or the home office, which is basically the home office for the British Isles. Mm-hmm. And they had marked it classified for a hundred years instead of 50 so i don't know if that's the case or not 
you know, here we'd have an open records request on it. Yeah. Uh, but we still protect some of the Kennedy stuff is still covered up. Uh, so true. And I know that um, when I was reading the book, I'm blanking on the title. Um, the author had trouble getting access to some of the records at first because they were still closed off from the home office. And so yeah. apparently part of that's still true, at least. Yeah. Well, I was thinking too, when you look at the, I think it was uh, West, yeah, Constable West, the guy that seemed to have a vendetta for Duncan and was coming after her. Mm -hmm. I would be fascinated to dig into his background and his motivations. Same. Because if you look at it, if he didn't have somebody that was potentially in peril or already killed in World War II, he certainly knew somebody in World War I. Mm. That, that's the thing as Americans we forget too is you devastated British society with World War One. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Uh, that is something as Americans we can't comprehend. Mm -hmm. It's just we won, that's it, it's over. It was the bloodiest war for Britain. Mm -hmm. So all of this is there. So there's something underneath him. There's always something behind it that I'd be curious to get into. But then when you get into her trial, it's really interesting. So the prosecution, or what I would call the prosecution, I guess there would be the Crown, had several different charges against her. Mm -hmm. That's a common tactic. And mm -hmm. the idea in law is you get it all out at once. That way you're not being tried for this crime. Okay, then you're up for this crime. Then you're up for this crime. The idea is let's get it out at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same concept here in civil law. Everybody says, well, how come they sued all these defendants? Well, it's better to get everybody in at once, get this done once and for all, instead of messing around with 10 different lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So what you see then is they're trying to find every single thing they can to potentially get her. And lo and behold, to whatever clerk or solicitor or whoever found it, the Witchcraft Act of 1735 is a broadly written statute that it doesn't take much. If you shall pretend to exercise or use anything to undertake fortunes, it doesn't take a whole lot to prove that. Mm -hmm. Nope. It suited their needs quite nicely. Yeah. It, my question, uh, though, when I was looking at it is... Some of the evidence seems to suggest they were able to bring up the stuff from the 30s. To prove that, I don't know how the system would have worked over there, but here I would see a limitations problem with that. Mm -hmm. I had a similar they, thought when I was reading up on it, like because it seemed a little bit literally far-reaching back in history of her personal history to utilize that as evidence against her. Yeah, so you've got... You've got the limitations issue. You've got the relevance issue, too. That if she's already been prosecuted for it, she's already been fined, well, what's the relevance now? And then the one, and then here's where I don't know British procedure as well, but in America, the way we do it is the guilt innocence phase. And then you have the crime and punishment phase, or what I call that. My, my two best friends are DAs. They'll probably correct me on that. <laughs> but at least in our criminal trials generally the way it goes is you try the crime 
And then you get to put on the evidence of why the punishment should be more or less. And okay. so when you, uh, basically at that point, well, let's say it's a murder trial. Okay, they found the guy guilty of murder. Okay, now you get to bring in all this stuff of he had all these prior convictions, he knew what he was doing, he's a bad actor, or on the contrary, well, he had major abuse problems when he was a child. This is the first time he's done anything. That's when all that stuff comes in. Mm -hmm. it, it, so that's what I can't tell from that trial at all without the transcript. Is that how that went down? Because that's where I could see that happening is in that phase of a trial, but I don't know. That's, but a, that's a good question, yeah. Because that's what stuck out to me and like some of the stuff that, you know, Constable West said, and then some of the things that the judge appears to have said, it, it's, I, I don't understand what happened. So I'd love to see the transcript one day, or I'd love to see more of a breakdown of what was admitted and when. Mm -hmm. So what yeah. I'm hearing is that we need to figure out what library has all these records and then podcast <laughs> trip to England. Yes. 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 <laughs> However, we do an open records request uh, over there. Right. Absolutely. If anyone has friends in England that are lawyers or barristers or solicitors <laughs> who can help us figure this out, yes. we would appreciate some guidance. Yeah. The other one, y'all brought this up on the last one. It's a great question. So looking at what Duncan's attorneys have to prove, they're put in the position of it wasn't pretending it was real. Yeah. So I get it. Like that makes perfect sense. Well, let's put on a seance. Mm -hmm. yes. like, yeah, that ain't happening. <laughs> the jury said no. So like, I mean... Yeah, well, here is that. Okay, that's weird, but I think here's why. So, y'all hit on it. The defense calls how many different witnesses? So over, many. And, and that's where it's like, great, you finally beat the issue into the judge's head. But in the meantime, all you did is bore the jury and make them angry. Yeah, you've mm -hmm. exhausted their patience for sure. Yeah, yes. by the time you get there and the judge asks the jury, would that be helpful? No. They want out. <laughs> You'd be helpful ending this. Can we be done, yeah. please? Yeah. And that's, and look, that's an honestly, every single jury, it doesn't matter, criminal, civil, whatever. Every witchcraft. jury. <laughs> not exactly witchcraft, but every one I've ever seen, every one of my juries, I've asked them any complaints or any of that. It's, yeah, the lawyers talk too much. You beat the same point over and over and over. And so that is actually a legitimate trial strategy that I think the defense messed up there. Hmm. When, you know, when I'm typically I'm the defendant, you know, for my companies. And so my goal by that point, they've heard from the plaintiff typically three, four days. I want to get my stuff done as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They've got an idea of the facts. They know what's going on. I want to make my big punches hard, fast, succinct, cut right to the chase. So I think that was probably an error on their part. Mm -hmm. But again, like y'all said, it's a cause celeb. This is, it's a big trial. It's a distraction from what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is something to do. It's 
you're building a reputation. So maybe that's why they did it. Right. Possible. But that's kind of my take on her. It doesn't make it right by any means. And it's bizarre. You know, Churchill called it tomfoolery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Of course, and somebody found his note. He actually sent a note to the, uh, what do they call it, the Home Office Lord. Mm -hmm. Sent him a note saying, what is this tomfoolery? Are we seriously spending money on this? (laughs) Wow. I think that's a valid question. We are at war. We have limited resources, and you're doing what with this? Yeah. Now, I do love the irony of that. Churchill saying, we shouldn't waste money on that. But have you ever heard the story about <laughs> when they asked him to drop his drinking? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Prime Minister, we can save this many thousand pounds if you cut back on drinking. I'd rather die first. <laughs> cool. Put him on the front line. Solve the whole problem. Oh, <laughs> and Churchill, look, Churchill would have been fine. He'd done the front line several times. I mean, no, I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, his uh, his drinking and his smoking, those were non-negotiable. No, but it got him through. But that, so all that kind of wraps up together and you got to look at the times, what's going on. And Jess and I kind of mentioned it, even it plays out today into even what evidence is. And so like one of the examples you also hear about in law school, it's very loosely tied here is DNA evidence. Well, that, well, we all want DNA. DNA is DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Except when the OJ trial happened, DNA was brand new. That jury was, jury was skeptical about it. Yeah, we had the same process when they started using fingerprints. When it was new, mm-hmm. people were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why would this matter? Yeah, exactly. And so that's why then you've got some of the legal mechanisms in place now to adapt to those. So if there is new science, new technology, you have to go through certain steps and prove up it's a, a reliable method. It's been peer reviewed. You've got to do all that stuff before I get to present that person as an expert witness. Interesting. And so that's a battle. A lot of times, like I deal a lot with property damage, you know, and you've got to go through what caused that damage. Are you qualified to talk about how water got into that building? Yeah, that's where we spend a lot of our lives. But now, unlike Salem, unlike with Helen Duncan, unlike with all that stuff, we could have had scientific testimony on that. Mm -hmm. And he could have gotten into it. So it'd be fascinating, I think, to take the Helen Duncan set of facts and then apply American procedure to it Mm -hmm. and see how that comes out. I don't know that a seance still gets to happen in a courtroom. (laughs) <laughs> i mean but, we got houdini performing on congress floor so like you never yeah. know That's true. but it'd be fascinating to me like because i would be to me i wouldn't have called the 48 58 witnesses whatever they call i would have found an expert in it mm-hmm. find somebody that could testify as an expert on seances whatever they could talk about here's what happens here's what people experience here's all the stuff saying it's not pretend. Mm. Coalesce it into know. one person so that you're not exhausting the jury. Exactly. Exactly. And that because it's dangerous. I mean, it kind of becomes your star witness, but it's something that would have provided better context for the whole thing. And you can put that into the broader sphere of 
not science, but how commonplace a lot of it is, what's frequently seen and all that, and take away some of the suspicion behind it. Well, and I mean, Kate, they had the Society for Psychical Research. They had some big names that could have come and spoke. Maybe not Harry Price. <laughs> Please come out of it. Yeah. He refused. They tried. He refused. Yeah. Um, but you had some big names. But Chris, I mean, would I be, I mean, I'm just assuming if it hadn't been World War II, and honestly, if she hadn't gotten some stuff right, she probably, this probably would have never happened. Like yeah. if she had, yeah. I mean, that, that was one of my roommates actually low, uh, got cracked up when I explained who she was because I was researching her in the living room because I didn't want to sit in my room anymore. Um, he's like, so they're persecuting her for being a fraud because they're afraid she's the truth. That, yes, yeah. that's exactly what I told Chris. <laughs> I'm like, and, and Chris, you can speak to this too, but in a way they're legitimizing her because yeah. she's getting this stuff right. You wouldn't be worried if she wasn't accurate. Yeah. yeah and it, my thought on it is even if she's calling stuff, I think later in the war, when America is in it and we're winning, I don't think they would have been as concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at, the, but at the time when she was, I mean, that. They were prepping where, for D-Day. They were really worried about leaks everywhere. Oh, yeah, because it was happening. That That's when the military geek in me comes out. Where we picked for D-Day is the absolute worst location. Okay. Which is why is why we picked it. So that was a complete and utter surprise. Plus all the other stuff we had coming with it. And so the paranoia level is at a 12 out of the scale of 10. But even, you know, you look at what the sensors are doing just for the troops and stuff. Like my grandfather was in Italy with the Air Force. Some of the few letters we have from him, the sensors only allow him to say, I was somewhere in North Africa and now we're somewhere in Italy. That's it. And you can basically say, dear mom, I'm okay. Please send socks. That's about the best you can do because yeah. you know, we're still locked in it, you know, pretty bad. So if this happens later in the war or if it happens during peacetime, I don't think it happens. No. The trial. I mean, they didn't yeah. care about her in the 30s. Like when no. nothing else was happening, she was just there. She was famous yeah. all over the UK and that was about it. Yeah, it it was an easy for them, I think it's a symbolic keep your mouth shut during wartime example mm-hmm. yeah, yeah what was the phrase loose lips sink ships yep mm-hmm. so i uh, that that's the bad thing so i think she's a victim of the war you know, as much as this ancient law yeah that wasn't designed for that it was designed to try to at least from my reading of it it seems like it's designed to try to pull people into the enlightenment but then you apply it during the biggest war in history <laughs> you're going to get some weird stuff happen. Wow. I, I, and I know we need to move to ghost insurance. I was shocked. They never tried to call her a spy. Like, cause I asked Chris, I said, did they ever accuse her of being a spy? Cause she knew this and it's like, no. So again, it just, she got it right. Like she knew stuff she shouldn't have known. In the book, I I read the officer or the inspector who was uh really gunning for her. Really? Um, he apparently mentioned a couple of times that she might have had contacts with spies, but okay. Um, that was where the uh, that was where they were really confused. I think it was, uh, what I say it was the second ship that they were trying to keep quiet because according to what they had gleaned from intercepted messages amongst the Germans, even they didn't know the ship had sank, so they didn't know how she would have known even with spy access. Okay, okay, so she was too good. 
she was, she was you're pers- being her persecuted for a fraud because you're good at really doing the thing <laughs> yeah yeah well that's where the video comes in it wasn't like a one torpedo hits it it goes down it took a little while mm-hmm. so the captain of that u-boat you read what happens he hits it he gets spotted they've got to dive okay he knows he heard an explosion but he doesn't know what happened he's running for his life so he doesn't even know he sunk this ship until the helen duncan story breaks that's crazy. So she's probably one of the best psychic mediums out there. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, so there's something interesting you wanted to talk about. So it's Churchill and a palm reader before we yeah, move like, on to ghost insurance. What level of tomfoolery are we actually thinking here? Was he working on his definition? Of- I, I'm just surprised you haven't gotten there on the podcast yet. I mean, there's so much stuff there. Uh, we the- have a season three. So. Yes. <laughs> But the the story is that very early on in his life, so somewhere around the 1890s, early 1900s, when he's in the Boer War, he goes to see a noted palm reader who everybody went to, who basically freaked out about it and said, oh my gosh, this is unreal. You know, can I tell people? And he's like, absolutely not. And supposedly after that, he became very focused on his destiny, you know, until he got there. And he had huge successes, huge failures along the way. But that's the legend is that this palm reader may have predicted who he would become. Uh, I don't know, but it comes up in a lot of the biographies of him. So talking about this type of work and reading fortunes, it seems like somebody would have been guilty of violating the Act of 1735. (laughs) Right? But again, it wasn't at war. Britain was still out of the empire when that happened. So It wasn't useful for anybody, so it stayed buried in dusty uh, tomes until necessary. Yeah. Exactly. That's really interesting. Okay, so let's wrap up with ghost insurance, which it was, you dropped that on us and then walked off. And it's like, wait, no. You can't just say, <laughs> on, did you know back. there's ghost insurance and leave? So what? what is this? Okay, so this is where I do want to throw out one legal caveat i'm not providing legal advice or insurance advice we're just talking about some of the products that are out there okay so the so the nature of my job is i represent insurance companies on complex stuff you can pretty much find an insurance policy to address whatever risk it may you may need well one of them uh is something called spook safe insurance Somebody has created this product, uh, we call it, it's an insurance policy, that provides coverage in the event that somebody is damaged by ghosts, specters, basically things that go bump in the night. Uh, So from a coverage lawyer perspective, you know, the way that would work is, let's say that you own a historic Airbnb or something that's known to be haunted. Under your typical liability policy, whoever was injured would then show that you, the owner, were negligent or did something to cause the damages. But if it's something like a ghost scratching you, you can't prove it. So this product, I guess, is designed for those circumstances. Um, But it leads you right back to the Salem problem of, doesn't that require some sort of spectral? Look, 
exactly like how do you prove it has been my question the whole time yeah. since you've mentioned that to us like yes. normally when like something happens like yes my house burned down and then you have the arson investigator figure out how it happened right like, how do yes. you know the scratch didn't happen because they brought home a stray cat oh, right. and I, would be, I want to and i may actually see if i can get a, you got to go through brokers their avoids outfit which we'll come back to that in a second uh i would be curious to see the policy form because if you're going to cover that what's listed in the exclusions yes exactly that uh, too you've got to tailor that there but uh yeah back to the lord's thing so i can't tell exactly who the underwriters are but this is another probably surprise for you there is not an insurance company that is Lloyd's of London. That's, <laughs> that's the look every time. Lloyd's of London. You always is, hear about it. Lloyd's yeah. of London. Yeah, Lloyd's of London is just a building. The way huh. Lloyd's, the way Lloyd's works is, Lloyd's of London was originally a coffee house, owned by a guy named Lloyd. Mm -hmm. And what happened was people would start meeting up there for news about maritime shipping and all that and it eventually developed into people underwriting voyages and things like that so they're essentially betting on which ships are going to sink yes over time you know boys dies but they keep the building and they keep working through these markets they move it but now lloyd's is a collection of what we call syndicates which are various underwriters various companies or individuals that choose what to write or not. So Lloyd's is the most responsive market of insurance in the world. So like, for example, they insure Nolan Ryan's arm. Yeah, you know, those things you hear about or. You Wasn't know, it Betty Grable's legs or something? Like yes. some, Yeah. yeah <laughs> what about JLo's hair? That was insured for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's what they can do. And so that's where. You know, you can always find a syndicate to write something. There's always a price there. So that's kind of where a product like Spooksafe falls in. You can Google uh, if you're a medium or anything like that. You can find insurance for mediums. You can find different things like that. So, you know, you look through those. I can't tell you what to get. I wouldn't tell y'all what to get necessarily. But you can look up those products and just have fun with it and see. But then, yeah, the whole spook safe thing just fascinates me because we're, we're right back to spectral evidence again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it raises more questions than it has solutions for. Yeah, uh, but it's fascinating. So, can you tell if people have like bought it? Like, can you tell if people are actually actually have it? I mean, somebody is probably doing it because they're still advertising. Okay. So, and you know, if you look, I think when I looked at it, the premiums are really, really cheap. Uh huh. So, if you know, if you're running a, an Airbnb or something for an extra whatever, well, why not carry it? Well, I, especially my guess is that if it's cheap, it's because they never have to pay out because they found a way <laughs> around it. Yeah, well, that's it. it. Well, it's not so much that; it's just the risk. Okay. So that that's what they're looking on. It's not that they don't have to pay out. It's what are the odds somebody is actually going to file a claim on this? Right. That's Fair. the whole question. And, and if you do, then what are the damages going to be? I mean, it's, 
I mean, I, I I can see places like the Myrtles or some of the like Eastern State is it Eastern State Penitentiary or like some or yeah. Waverly Hills, some of these really famous famous haunted places carrying something like that. I mean, even just to advertise it, it's kind of hilarious. Like we do have ghost right. insurance, yeah. <laughs> right? Like if that's not going to bring people in, then we have no idea what else will. Yeah. No, but it, yeah, it's a fascinating idea. And like, what do you have to prove? What would the damages be? And then that. I, I would just have a field day with it, but I'm, that's the geek in me. <laughs> I didn't know there was insurance for mediums and all that. Well, um, too. So that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. You've just given us like four new rabbit holes to dive down instead of researching the next episode. Thanks. <laughs> right, oh, welcome to the, welcome to the coverage world. The, the stuff I look at is crazy. <laughs> that's that's wild. Well, I mean, I can't thank you enough. I was trying to think if I had any last minute questions. I mean, I'm sure I will. Like, and, we'll, and we know- we'll be thinking about this for weeks. We'll be like, oh yeah, there's a question for it. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I know we want to bring you back on the podcast because, like we said, so many of the episodes we've done, they take these people to court or they take them to trial, and it goes through. And so, I'd love to look at even more of them in the future. There's a lot that are out there, and it's always about the context and what else is there. I'm thinking of a couple of famous ones I'm sure y'all will get to. Uh, the ghost testimony trial. Yes. People heard about that. Yes. There's several others where there's more to that story. No, absolutely. I, I mean, that would be a great one to cover in season three and then bring you back to talk about it. Absolutely, yes. There have been trials when ghosts have testified <laughs> are, yeah. are so-called, in a way they testified. <laughs> It's been admitted to court, so it counts yes. somehow. We're not sure why or how. <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be a great one for next season. Okay, well, thank you so much for being our special guest. We can't wait to have you on again and look forward to talking to you soon. Bye. Bye. That was, oh my gosh. I, I love your know. husband so much. He's fantastic. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad because I wasn't nervous. I knew he'd do fine. But, but I don't know. Still, it's also when it's your husband, you're like, because at first, the first thing, which we, um, then we talked it through, but at first when he was just reading about Helen Duncan and the ectoplasm part, he was like, <laughs> she, I came up there, he's like, um, she's a total fraud. And I was like, oh, no, she's not. <laughs> she is a fraud with ectoplasm and that is all. Yes. I'm like, you better not say that. On she's a podcast. shitty medium, but a fantastic psychic. Yes. <laughs> but I was like, don't you dare say that. And like, we went on it. And I'm like, but she predicted this and this and this. And then and then he was like, okay, well, she's good at that. I'm like, we know the ectoplasm's fake. Like, right. It's fully clearly gauze. Like, come on. Yes. We have you pictures cannot... of the puppets. Let's be real. I'm like, you cannot judge her on the ectoplasm. Like, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, I was like, you better not say that. You better not say that. <laughs> no but um i'm just impressed at how much he was talking off the cuff like you, he clearly had references for specific dates right so i saw his eyes shift but like the rest of it was just knowledge that lives in his brain oh i know i'm so jealous because I, I have some knowledge that lives in my brain but even stuff i've covered on this podcast after like a month or a couple of weeks it's like that just left my brain. I can't tell you any of that. <laughs> we just covered Helen Duncan. None of the stuff that I said would have been remembered. And I listened, yeah. re-listened to the Salem episode yesterday, just in case. Yes! Be because, I like, it, I, I forget no. it. Like, I, I did this when I was taking tests in school. Two oh, days yeah. after the test was over, gone. 
I'm the same way. If I don't do it like every day or talk about it all the time, it's gone. It yeah, no meanwhile, we can both recite our house tours in our sleep. Well, yeah, because we did them every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even details. I forgot who I covered. I did their biography. If you ask me now for details, I'd be like, I yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, it's gone. It's already out. It's Either it jumps out at me and holds onto my attention like the automaton yeah. in Houdini's movies, or right. it's the entire random details of, I don't know, Swedenborg. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If you had, yeah, if you had me do like mesmer again, I'd be like, <laughs> like I know the basics. So but... it's where we get the word mesmerism. Yeah. And we know that Swedenborg was actually Swedenberg and he changed it to be fancy. And that's all we got. Oh, I know. If we ever went to speak, which one day I hope we do, I would so have to review like my notes. Cause I'd be like, if they just asked me a question off the cuff, I'd be like, Oh, I don't remember. Um, look at that shiny bird. Exactly. <laughs> but in our defense, how many of these have we written and researched? Like, we, there's a lot. Like, how are we supposed to keep up with all of it in our brain? And, I mean, if y'all were impressed by what he, he had in his brain, like, let, let us know so that we can let him know. Because if he was impressive and we let him know that he was impressive, it'll be easier to bring him back. Yes. Exactly, though. I mean, he's kind of like us. He gets to research interesting topics and talk about the law. It doesn't take much persuasion. <laughs> That's valid. So even if you didn't like him, you're going to hear from him again. <laughs> yes. But we also have the usual requests. Please leave us ratings and reviews wherever you're listening to us, because we are aware of the fact that despite the Spotify rap that just came out, you listen to us more than just on Spotify. So wherever you're listening to us, Rating, review, and subscribe. That way you know when we have new episodes. Absolutely. And let us hear from you. So let us know what you think about this episode. Did you have some questions that we can throw out to him in for future episodes? And of course, if there are any other spirited topics you want us to cover, you can always find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod. Or you can email us at callingallspiritspod at gmail.com. And if you're feeling lucky, or I guess really unlucky, you can look into the spook coverage that Crystal was <laughs> about today. I, I, that still blows my mind. But yes, maybe get yourself insured. Yeah, I mean, if you have a poltergeist activity or you're the kind of person who would call the Warrens, look into it. But don't send, don't use that to get to us. <laughs> no, no, that is true. Yeah. If you want to get to us, probably just go ahead and use the email. Please do. Please do. And until next time, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.